most people think. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of What Most People Think. This might, that might be the last time that you hear that, that theme tune. We might be going down to the lockdown theme tune. Who knows, man? I'm recording this on Thursday, the whatever, fuck knuckle of September, 24th of September. And, well, you know, Boris did his little speech. And I just want to know something, man, right? Tell me this. Who are the people that, when you gov call, are saying that they want the pubs to shut? Because I've seen some polling this week and it upset me, man. I am patriotic. I think the British people, there's a lot to be proud of there. But when I see a majority of young people wanting the pubs to shut, I think, Jesus, I I don't even know. It's clear. I I think from some of the things I've seen this week and how many people are pro-restrictions on some level that maybe I'm in the minority in this one. I I cannot call the podcast what most people think on this occasion. I have to call it what a few of us think that are willing to speak about in public, but what most people silently think and only say when YouTube ring them. I mean, what has, what has become of this country? <laughs> I sound like a Remainer. I just, I just feel like I don't even know this country anymore. This is not, these are not the values that I, I hold dear about Britain. It just feels like some people just want to be, if you said to some people, do, do you want to be sort of tucked up in a giant hamster ball until 2024? They go, yeah, yeah. And, what, and be fed like fucking intravenously, you know, because obviously you don't want the risk of having to go outside for food. It's... Could you, could, you, could you also tell Matt Hancock to stop? People keep saying something, but like the press are just playing with, aren't they? It's like cat and mouse where they just go, so, so Matt, are you, are you saying that students might have to spend Christmas alone in their universities? And he's like, look, I'm, I'm not ruling it out. Uh, do you think students will have to eat their own feces because there's such a solid lockdown that none of the shops are open? Look, I'm not ruling out students eating their own shit to survive. Just dodge the question, Matt. You dodge the questions that you, that you shouldn't dodge. But those ones, you can just say, look, come on, man. Look, we're doing this on a play-by-play basis. Can I just... You're talking about December there, for fuck's sake. Just on a quick note, uh, the tour tour dates are going ahead. I keep saying it. My tour dates are socially distanced. Arguably, I would say too much, looking at the floor plan. You are going to have my tour... You're going to have extra legroom. Have you ever been jealous of those EasyJet people that but not the EasyJet you know the ones that pay for the bit, extra bit of legroom at the front well you're going to have that and then some at my tour venues and they are going ahead they're coming up I've got one this Sunday the 27th in Canterbury then I've got Worthing coming up in October um, I've got Leamington Spa I think that's having to move back a week I think but it is going ahead because I'm not I'm going to get a fucking tour day out if it kills me. And I realised that there was an irony in that that I didn't really factor in. And all the pro lockdown was going, we only might kill you, Jeff. The airborne virus, what are you just, are you comfortable spreading a virus? I'm like, is anybody going to their job comfortable doing that? I've got, I've got a brother's got to own a living. Sorry, did a white man just call himself a brother? Yeah, the brotherhood of man. <laughs> uh, new patrons this week. So now the rule is, is that I believe that everyone's had one shout out. If I'm wrong, then email me, email me at what most people think uk at gmail.com uh, and just moan. Just go, I don't think I'm in my shout. But look, your patrons, I've always said I will respect the patrons, okay? The client is never wrong. Um, £10 to Mr. Trindle, which is a code name because not everyone can afford to have their name read out. Some people are working undercover, very left wing institutions right I don't know where Mr Trindle works it could could it be a university could it be my old alma mater matter alma mater I don't know what's called Goldsmiths College for those of you who don't know I went to the same arts college as Tracy Emin Blur and Damien Hurst I my whole motivation to get even slightly famous is so that those fuckers have to put me up on a wall somewhere <laughs> like they'll be so ashamed of me they'll have all these lefty artists and then they'll just be me standing there in a polo shirt and he, yeah, he, he, no one liked him. No one liked him. He, he joined a women in literature course just to shit on Jane Austen. True story. Um, <laughs> we do a cuss count every week on this show as well. This is from my good friend David Domain that keeps us up to date with the right. Well, you know, look, if COVID's going up, last week my cuss count went down. We had one bellend, one cunt, one, two fucks, 15 fuckings. That's lower. Regular listeners will know that that is, that's, that's falling in half. I feel like, I feel like I'm, I feel disappointed with that. One piss and two pisses, two pricks, one prickery, which is a new word, new word, debuting on this week's lottery, and six shits, which works out at 0.75 swears a minute. I already feel like I've upped the run rate 
uh, <laughs> already um, on this podcast. I just got to tell you about the guest that we've got this week. So the guest we've got is a comedian called Tanya Edwards, right? She's a brilliant comic. If you've been out and uh, seen me on tour, you might have seen her supporting me. So that that is all well known, right? However, she is interesting politically because she's not really like she doesn't have opinions that you could easily pigeonhole but she's very very angry about what's going on with covid very angry so she she would ask me to say this as much as she would say herself the interview i have of her it's not a funny one okay this is a woman who's angry about what is happening democratically factually statistically and i know some of my listeners you know you are more pro pro lockdown some of you aren't as lockdown skeptic as me but this is somebody that is, is perhaps further along that road than I am. And, you know, I, I questioned her on a couple of things, but it's there. You know, she's done the reading. She has said, you're going to listen to this interview and some of you are going to get annoyed. But she has said herself, come back to her. She believes that she can back it all up with sources. So so strap yourselves in. This is this is an intense interview. I'll be honest, you know. And I'm glad that we had it because Tanya, once the moment we started, I tried to do my usual thing of let's talk a bit of shit, but no, she, she's angry about what's happening. She had a lot to get off her chest and I, I think that it's well worth listening to. And who knows, I might interview somebody later on that perhaps, you know, comes from the other side just to balance things out. But I hope you enjoy uh, that interview as we will, as we talked almost exclusively about COVID. There's just a couple of points I've got to make about uh, Keir Starmer this week. Keir Starmer, you're not an amigo player. I lick your bomb bomb down. Captain Hindsight, he never has his own plans. He, the, uh, By the way, I only did that just in case some of you were finally getting over the Keir Starmer thing. I just need to top that up. I need to spin that plate a little bit. So Boris did his announcement, right? Now, I, I got in trouble for this because you know, a lot of people that follow me, perhaps, or people that reply to me are lockdown sceptics. And I said, I thought Boris did well in communicating what he wanted to communicate on Monday night, right? I didn't agree with all of it. But I certainly thought it was a good piece of communication. He is, Boris, weirdly good at auto cue. <laughs> He's better than me. I'm terrible. I just, there's something about him to stare at a camera and just say words. It makes me look like, I basically look like someone that's just had a finger shoved up his ass without consent you know like that my eyes have got that slightly wide look and was he just making jokes about consent oh, to, to do with my consent I own my consent okay this is my body uh, um, but Keir Starmer did his announcement so we'd seen him previously in the commons you know doing it, it it's kind of easy for him in the commons with Boris at the moment he's got the wood over him we all know that okay Boris has his moments but largely Keir is is schooling him to quote the sort of middle-aged remainers um, but he's not good at auto cue. His old Keir, because he he did his speech, right? He did his Labour Party speech, and it was it, the content was good. You know, he he spoke about Labour Party's need to embrace patriotism. So, yeah, good. I like that message, Keir. Good luck with the parliamentary Labour Party, because you could say that, mate. But I dare you at conference, not not just a conference that's been happening online, but a live real life conference. <laughs> Get that flag out, Keir. Get it out. See how many MPs will stand <laughs> Labour MPs. See how much you get heckled by the party faithful when you start waving the St George's flag <laughs> or the Union Jack. Good luck with that. But the point is, he's shit at auto cue. He's really bad. He looks like, you know, like if you have like a civilian on the one show and then Matt Baker like, yeah, just for a laugh. Should we get the, should we get the civilian to read the next link, shall we, Alex? And he just says there looking, saying his weird little voice. <sighs> It's, I just say, I know that the stormtroopers, as we're calling them now, they are, they're so like happy that they've got somebody that's semi-competent at the wheel. This doesn't mean that Keir's not doing sensible things with the party. I just think that, I keep saying this, he is but one man. That party, you know, the parliamentary Labour Party and the membership are two very, very different things. So just before we crack on with the interview with Tanya... So just a quick thank you to uh, anybody that's still coming to the tour shows. You know, we had a couple of returns, given what's happened. It's understandable, isn't it? Government have put the right old shitters up the whole nation. And a few people are kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go back to not going out again. So I, I think you need comedy. I think you need comedy. I think you need to honour the tour shows. Like I say, you're going to have plenty of, of room. But but just the fuck you... Just going back, I'm sorry, like the people that want... There was, there was something like... There was a majority for wanting a full national second lockdown. They want it to happen, to stop flights coming in and out of Britain. They just like they went way beyond. There was 36% of people who wanted schools to shut again. After all the shit that that's caused with young people, they still want schools to shut again. So just, just sew your faces, your pussies. 
right into me. Have you been have, <laughs> have you been contacted by YouGov? Have they got a little community of you? Huh? Little risk averse fuckers. <laughs> Listen, man, uh, look, this is we're going to start the chat with Tanya. I've already put in the disclaimers. Some of you might be fully on cyber this. Some of you might get a bit irate. Irate? A bit irate. Anyway, Tanya Edwards. Welcome to the podcast, Tanya Edwards. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So can we deal with your voice first? You are, you are very well spoken. And I think that my audience love a stereotype. So <laughs> can we explain, are you, are you a Tory? Are you posh? What's going on? I'm not a Tory. I'm posh enough to know I'm not posh. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I, yeah, so I'm, my, my voice, I, don't, I can't really account for my voice. I just haven't managed to drop my teeth. I've tried. It's, it, I mean, it sounds good. It sounds good. Have you got, you got kids? You got a, yes, a kid? I do. You got two. And is your eldest, how, how's their voice coming out? Are they... Slightly more London. Yeah. Um, but also I have a, my husband's Irish. Well, he's from Belfast. So I'm working as hard as I can to make sure they sound like me. <laughs> um, as I would have mentioned in the, the intro, we, we've worked together um a bit and you've done um support for me on a couple of dates and yeah. you, you did very well did you did you find that when you did support for me that i that you were surprised by the audience or did other comments uh, comics ask you what the audience were like um no i don't think so back when you could have an audience i thought the point really was to have the room as busy as possible and both times i supported you you were sold out and Thank and they you. laughed a lot so that's all i really care about if you have a a room of people that is that you know that's packed and people are laughing well, I, don't, I don't really care who i'm talking to but people because that was what i found out a couple of other people did support for me if i reported back that other comics were sort of saying you know what were they like you know i, I don't know what they thought is going to be some sort of brexit knuckle draggers coming in sort of beating their chests dragging I, their I, wives in by their hair yeah i i am um, i've never understood that the whole idea, this idea that anybody that doesn't agree with you is, is um, by obviously has got the wrong information or is a bit stupid. It is possible for someone to back up a different opinion to the one that I have, for example. So I've never really fallen into that Brexit divide. I, just, I, just sort of politically to sort of situate you before we get on to COVID stuff. Is, is there a place on the political compass that you could sort of define? You know, a bit libertarian, a bit left-wing economically. Where, where do you generally sit? Well, it's hard to talk about at the moment because I've become an actively hostile citizen and I, I hate <laughs> them all. I hate them all. Um, but I'm an, I'm an individualist. I believe in the individual and I believe in uh, free speech. So I guess those things would put me currently to the right. Um, and I also believe in free health service and supporting people who need support and increasing educational standards. And, uh, you know, so in that respect, I guess you could put me to the left mm -hmm. right now. Though I always have thought that it's irrelevant, really, what position you are. Um, in fact, if anything, it's ideal to hide your position because you're no threat to any person if you identify yourself tribally. So if you say always you're going to vote the same way, then what interest has your local MP got in being honourable or honest? If they, if they can guarantee your support irrespective of how they behave, then, then you're making your own vote redundant. So no, I've, been, never, I've never had a tribe in that regard. I've, uh, not, I've, I've often thought the same was the, the elections. It was always like a fresh slate where they had to pitch for your business every single time. Yeah. yeah. And, and yet it, it, it sort of changed like that. I mean, obviously, you know, given the kind of politics I have at the moment, one of the tricky things is, is that you can be deeply dissatisfied with the Tories. But, you know, maybe that's my natural home. But equally, you go, well, what's the alternative? There's no other game in town if you're more on the libertarian kind of side. I, I think that's a serious, serious, serious problem at the moment in that the opposition only has one job, which mm. is to oppose. And every time I've heard Keir Starmer speak, he has said there is no difference between him and Boris Johnson. I, 
think at the moment the opposition is only coming from inside the Conservative Party. Mm. So I have, I, I know everyone else is busy investing in AstraZeneca and GlaxoKline, but I am investing in the post office. I'm single-handedly resurrecting the stamp. I am writing to everybody. I have written to my MP, who's Emily Thornbury. I did not vote for her. She's Labour. And I have written to um, a Tory, Sir, Sir Brady, who I also have not voted for. He's not in my constituency either. Sir Graham Brady. Yeah, and yeah. I have written to him. His office has actually replied to me. My own MP hasn't replied to me. Classic but Thornbury. Yeah, but I can't see anybody opposing what's happening. And, and culturally, the very people that have never stopped slagging off the Tories since mm. I have known them are, if anything, calling for them to do more and totally misidentifying the problem. And that is breathtaking to me. So here's Starmer's a good example. The other day he, he exposed himself as not understanding the difference between an infection and an infection fatality rate. Mm. There are open goals for Labour here. They have lied about the PCR test. Um, Hancock and Shapps have both revealed on the radio that they don't understand the base, the base rate fallacy. We have had the worst infringement of our civil liberties in history. And mm -hmm. our liberties are there not for enjoying ourselves generally. They're for at precisely this moment they need to be protected. It is precisely the moment of a panic. And I can't believe no one's, no one's enraged. I, I'm, I feel like I'm living in a parallel universe. Well, it, is, it is weird. I mean, like if I, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but it was sort of saying, you know, when I grew up, people saying the Tories, they're right wing they're secret fascists right they secretly they want to control us so you sort of feel like this is the moment right this is the thing that i heard a lot uh, from the left growing up that the tories are currently doing that thing they're introducing measures without recourse to parliament announcing them on fucking lbc before it even gets in front of the speaker and and, um, and worse they're changing them every week so all of these things are disorientating to and they're not fair either so it completely undermines the rule of law if i can randomly be arrested for something today or charged or fined for something today that last week was not illegal that yeah. means that you're not just compelling me to behave in a certain way that has had no parliamentary scrutiny but you're also compelling me to constantly keep myself updated on the on the whims of a madman well that's interesting and that's an interesting point you made because you know you there's an old rule which is that you can't claim ignorance of the law but you sort of can when it only appears as an update on an app you absolutely can at the moment, and I know that there. Um, I know that there is someone who's who's pursuing this through the courts. I have been part of three crowdfunders, all prosecuting the government now for about six months. I hasten to add, my contribution has been nominal, as my career has been decimated by these mm. crazy measures. But I, if that if that explains my position, I am I am in every single way opposed to every single measure, and I. Well, that's interesting because I think that, that, you know, that probably I am a, a strong lockdown skeptic. I think that probably puts you in a more opposed position, perhaps to to where I'm at, because I did. You know, I watched Boris's announcement uh, the other night. I thought that weirdly, you know, Boris has almost done nothing right lately. He's all right on AutoQ for some reason. He's if you just put the words, he's a bit of a Ron Burgundy. If he just has to speak down the camera, I know obviously you would have been hostile to what he was saying. But he, he, the, what, what he wished to communicate, I think he had communicated it effectively. But the legal and intellectual sort of rigour of that, like, for example, just dialing back a bit to when Whitty and Valance said, well, if cases were to double unchecked, they would get to 50,000. But they didn't really say whether that was something they deemed likely. They just threw that figure out there I and it caused Jeff, a lot of... Jeff, what happened when Whitty and Valance spoke is fraud and it will be exposed as fraud. It has been exposed as fraud, but it will take time for them to um, be prosecuted for that fraud. They absolutely misrepresented the numbers. They presented statistical gobbledygook. If it had, if it had exponentially risen at the rate they said of the 70,000 cases in the community that they claimed, the whole country would be infected within 10 days. In March, we made it illegal for me to see my own mother. So fundamentally, I don't agree with any of it. Mm. That's the most important thing. But having said that, if you wanted to follow Lord Sumption saying that it was reasonable to have a very brief lockdown to maximize NHS capacity, I can understand that argument because I have family that were working in the NHS and 
and they were frightened. And if you look at Italy, they were overwhelmed at the beginning. So you could say that that initial limited three-week gap, if you like, mm. um, had, had a specific reason. Now, we know that lockdowns don't impact on the shape of the Gompertz curve. Even the Lancet's admitted now that it doesn't... So what's, what's the Gompertz curve? So the, the COVID behaves in the same way in every country, in every place on earth. It's going to always go through the community in the same way. And Michael Levitt identified this in February. And he's, mm. he won the Nobel Prize, by the way. He's a really clever guy. He makes his evidence completely open. And so he has basically been proven right for, for mm. till now. So we know that government interventions don't impact on the actual shape of the, the Gompertz curve. So if you look at Sweden and you look at England, we have the same curve, even though we had a different governmental policy. That's yeah. because the virus will always go through. It will take out the susceptible, i.e. the vulnerable. And, so, and it's also related to your flu season last year. So mm. if you had a weak flu season last year, you're going to have had a worse... Why COVID. is Sweden in that case on a different trajectory now? If, if government it's intervention d- doesn't change? Well, it seemed to be that their caseload was going down, or did it just get to them later? Or... What, would be the reason what, what, what do you mean? So Sweden is just, it's all dropped off everywhere. But ours is starting to rise again, is my, is my point. Well, it's not starting to rise if the um, PCR test is invalid. And you, everything starts with language. So, for example, we have herd immunity here in London. But obviously, if COVID goes into a new place, then it's going to go through that population there. So you will have ripples. It's not going to be another wave, but you will obviously have little ripples where people haven't previously been exposed to the virus. And this is why there's plenty of arguments in favor of um, uh, heterogeneous mitigation strategies, where you would try and protect the vulnerable, but you would encourage university students, for example, to carry on completely normally, because that will protect the elderly. So we've done a really strange thing here. So just just like that idea, and and I think this has been forgotten, is that if you have a big group of young people that build up immunity, the virus has less places to go. So that is partly the way. Yeah. And and we have attacked language constantly. And that, I think, is frightening. So this idea that there is something, and it's, it's very interesting, especially amongst comedians, we seem to be obsessed with um, feeling affronted by the meaning of words. And this has never been more amply or dangerously demonstrated than by the word herd. Mm. That is just how you describe immunity in the community. And the word herd is because we know about infectious diseases from studying animals. Yeah. So I mean, I remember at the, be- the beginning of this when that word was first first floated around and it was sort of made out to be this evil Machiavellian ploy to kill off the old. And you sort of thought, this is the only way that societies have ever recovered from pandemics. And, and it remains it, you know, whether it's by vaccine or whether kind of community. Of immunity. course, but, of course it is. But, but now it became, it, for a brief period, because I noticed they're not saying it now, uh, it became equated with almost eugenics because it was just a it's, stick it's, to beat the government with. This is what is confusing me. And, and it brings back to your first question about why. It's very interesting to me is we were affronted by the word herd and we have used all sorts of slogans like don't kill your granny, but we are pretending. So when you say about heterogeneous mitigation strategies, you're talking specifically about protecting the vulnerable and encouraging um, the healthy who are unaffected by this to go about their business. Now, obviously, you will have some tragedies. They made terrible mistakes mistakes they didn't understand viral load and but right from the beginning of this crisis they knew certain things would help like vitamin d and covid severity is undisputed so but didn't look, didn't matt hancock say this week that it didn't have any effect he said that in what vitamin comments. d uh, yeah he said that this week i'm well, pretty sure I, mean, sort of. I just this is extraordinary in japan they had hardly any deaths amongst their elderly why they have extraordinary high vitamin d levels and they're very healthy in Italy, half the de- in the north, half of the deaths were over the age of 85 years old, by the way. And mm. they had extraordinarily low levels of vitamin D. So they've just done a big mm. uh, study in Scotland. And the big study in Scotland is surprised to discover that if you have close contact with children, you are better placed to deal with this. But what is... Okay, the reason I'm annoyed 
is because every single thing that boosts your immune system, vitamin D, human contact, sleep, um, all of the things going out in the sunshine, exercise, mm. confidence, sex, ev everything that is good for your immune system has been undermined. Everything. Mm. And everything that is bad for your immune system, stress, isolation, panic, anxiety yeah. about the future, isolation, every single thing has damaged our immunity and our society and our mental health. So, like I said, kind of intense, right? Serious, but factually, this is great to have somebody. I mean, Tanya is a comedian, but she actually, she knows her stuff. Comedians, we don't know, I don't know my stuff. I don't do research. Are you joking? I like to just, I like to have a hunch. I like to, I like to set that hunch on sale, you know? I just like to put it on the water, just like a message in a bottle and see where it goes. But anyway, look, let's just have a break from that briefly uh, and welcome our £5 patrons this week. Andrew Watt. James Chapman and Andrew Troke. I just I don't know why, man. I don't know how many how many of you are into your dance music, but Andrew Troke just sounds like uh, like some sort of techno legend. Do you know what I mean? Like from from Chicago or something. Andrew's high. He's got one of those weird podcasts. Well, where you, DJs probably none of you are into dance music. DJs like dance music DJs are the least charismatic people on God's earth. Like if I was them, when they do their podcast, I'd get somebody else to do links because they kind of, they all seem to start the same way. They all start off sounding like a bloke whose wife has just left him. Hi, I'm Andrew Troke. This is my podcast, and if you like techno, this is the place to be. Don't leave me, Leanne. Um, cool name, dude. Cool name. I I've got tour dates coming up. I want to see you there, Canterbury, September the twenty seventh, Worthing, fifteenth of October, Newcastle Sand, Newcastle Sand. The Sand in Newcastle, 17th of October at the Stand in Newcastle, 18th of October at the Birmingham Glee Club. Uh, Maidenhead dates are sold out. The Shrewsbury one has moved to the 27th of November. And on top of that, uh, I'm doing a double bill extended club set. Definitely not my tour show, but maybe we'll have a bit of my tour show in it. At the, on, in Southampton on the 30th of September. Then we've sold a few tickets. That Obviously, people are a bit paranoid over the last couple of weeks, thinking, well, is this going to happen? It is going to happen. It is fully covid compliant but you know what happens on stage might not be covid compliant i mean i don't buy that i don't mean i'm just going to spit on people in the front row that would, i mean you know if i did do that it might get me a finally a four star in the guardian because they would think that was daring and subversive <laughs> but yeah we're going to be there with leo curse leo also a conservative voting comic i mean it is literally as much as people take the piss saying that there's loads of right-wing comics now it is just me and leo but guess what we're not going to spend the whole night talking about why you should vote conservative because that's impossible to make funny leo is um leo's a very funny guy and he's very tall um so what i'll probably do when leo comes off is that i'll make out that we're going to do a separate handover like i'm not going to do a direct one and you'll think oh this because of covid regulations because but it'll actually just be because i don't want to be just be humiliated by how much taller because the thing is i'll come on and you'll think he's not very tall and then when i hand over to leo you won't think like leo's freakishly tall you'll think like jeff is a is a, is a dwarf and i think that that is the right word is that okay to say <laughs> it's probably not okay it's probably not okay. And look, I'm going to say something about height with men. And this is something I think about my son is you can kind of go, hey, you know, it doesn't matter how tall the package is. It, being tall as a man is just better. Can we just stop this this lie that we tell ourselves that kind of, yeah, well, well this is uh, you still get oxygen up there, dear. Yeah, they do get oxygen. It's the best oxygen. <laughs> Women respect all men. World leaders are usually tall. Although I haven't said that. Boris is only 5'7", isn't he? Boris is only 5'7". No wonder he's always trying to like put people in headlocks and stuff. And You know, when he rug rugby tackled that Japanese kid, it was probably because the kid was taller than him. Um, so I, you know, I sort of thought we were all on the same page. This is Britain, freedom loving. We love going out, we love getting pissed. And then we saw this, the, the polling, uh, which sort of suggests that, well, not everyone feels like this. You know, you've got 59% of, of Britons who, who, you know, want pubs to close immediately. You've got almost half of people want a full national second lockdown. And I was sort of wondering, maybe just take it to a lighter note, but are pro-lockdown people a bit like shy Tories now? Because you sort of, they obviously exist, but I don't seem to speak to them. 
Well, I think uh, I've, I just don't think there's any doubt that this has been the most relentless propaganda campaign that I have ever seen. And I think that the easiest way to explain it to people that aren't really interested in the studies and are confused is to, to say, if you walked into the sitting room and there was a film on the television and you, knew, you didn't know what the film was, you had no idea what it was that was there, and you heard someone say, call the police and report on your neighbors. Mm. And you said, why? And they said, because they've got their, their friend over. Then you would know that that person was the baddie. So yeah. we know that for all of history, if you are asking people to report on their neighbors for seeing their family or for having their child's friend over, then you are the baddie. Mm. And the, I, th I think that this is helpful. But there would be people say, and obviously I've got to represent the other view to the point, is that if, if for example, you buy some of the more, what I would see hysterical end of, of COVID or the, the catastrophic interpretation of it, they would think I'm doing this to protect health and, and, and well-being. Am, that's I how they sure. would see themselves. I am sure. And that's why history is so important because we are all the same. We all have the same monster inside of us and we can all justify our disgusting behavior in whatever way we fancy. That's why you have examples that are always the same so that you can check yourself. Mm. So that even if you're panicking, even if you don't understand anything, even if you choose to hermetically seal yourself in your own home for the rest of your life, you know that that is your decision and that the moment you want to impose that on somebody else, you have crossed the line. And mm. that is there for us so that we don't have to behave immorally. And thank God for that. So, and I do think because it's absolutely, this is essential. If you look at Melbourne, they are openly and deliberately showing how heavy handed the police are being to cower their population. They just arrested a pregnant woman in front of her own children for sharing a Facebook post about a peaceful, socially distanced protest. I did, I did see that video. Yeah. I, think, I think if people search pregnant woman Melbourne arrested, I think, I think you'll probably find it. Yeah, uh, and there was, there was this but, idea that that might be a scam, but on the contrary, that it's not a scam, it's not even been denied. I think that they want you to see it so that you fall into line. And I spoke to a friend of mine in Australia, and he said it, these measures were necessary to protect 1% of the population. And I said, but the infection fatality rate on this is between 0.05 and 0.1 max. And he, that changed his mind. So I happen to think that those draconian tactics in Melbourne are always inappropriate. That for me is always wrong. But I do think it's essential that we understand there is a difference between case fatality rate and infection fatality rate. And this is another way that the government is currently being dishonest. If you have an infection, that is not a case. A case is supposed to imply hospitalization. It's a fair point, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a serious thing. So they did think, and Fauci published at the beginning, that this had a case fatality rate of 1%, and it seems to have been modeled on an infection fatality rate of 1%, which is incorrect. And that's a, Neil Ferguson, by the way, has got a 100% record of being wrong. He wanted us all to be locked down for swine flu, and he insisted on a vaccine which gave a thousand people narcolepsy. He mm. thought that the BSE was going to kill 200,000 people. It killed a couple of hundred. He thought that avian bird flu was going to kill a few million. He has got a 100%. And yet, did you, see that, did you see that woman he pulled? I mean, how is he very hot? How is he doing Power. it? It's always power and money. It's always sex, power and money. It never changes. If you follow the money trail, you can see why this is happening. And this, so let's pretend yeah. that the, the first mistake was an innocent one. And when Neil Ferguson gave another insane model and they chose to follow his insane example instead of listening to Dr. Gupta or listening mm -hmm. to the Swedes. Now the Swedes have openly said they could see the information Neil Ferguson was putting into his model made no sense because it, so they just didn't ever accept his projection of half a million dead for in the UK. And it looks like he was out to the power of 10. What most people think. And let's be as positive and um, optimistic as possible and imagine that at the beginning, this was genuinely just to make sure there was enough space in hospitals. 
And then let's say that we're the best will in the world. We looked at Italy and we thought, my God, we're going to need ventilators. They now know that ventilators is not the best yeah. first recourse. So the government buys, orders 30,000 ventilators. I remember finding it very inspiring, seeing Dyson and McLaren and everyone stepping up for this ventilator call. I remember thinking, yes, come on, Britain. Mm. Like I, I never feel like that, but I did feel like that in that moment. And then they built seven hospitals. That was quite impressive too. And I think had had the NHS been overwhelmed, those, I mean, they were trying to work out how to get more oxygen into hospitals because the pipes were too small to deliver the amount of oxygen they thought they needed. So I, I don't think you can criticize these things, even if they were wrong. And I cannot believe that Witty and Balance are unfamiliar with flu morbidity, annual flu morbidity, which they completely misrepresented the other day. And I cannot believe that um, all of these other things fine but we've now bought 340 million doses of experimental vaccines and i've seen three ministers in our government refuse to rule out making that mandatory we have so with i don't know if you read the government consultation paper on this the other day uh no i didn't know okay well this for me is really frightening so they put out a government consultation paper they want to be able to actively promote a vaccine they don't want to have any liability for it they don't want it to go through the normal channels and they don't believe it should be regulated in the same way well, that is frightening enough. But then to openly, the health minister in mm. Wales just said last week that they can't rule out not mandating this. So you so are I think extraordinary uh, things to be putting into the public sphere, and I can't. This is unacceptable. I think that um, I I think a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people find themselves in the position of being. You know, when you hear about anti-vaxxers, that has a certain image to it, and and there's certain kids' vaccines that people have been suspicious of that, that I've had issues with, but equally, that's a very long leap to injecting your population with stuff. And you think, what causes you to cross that Rubicon? And I think one of the things I want to talk about just for a little bit is, is, is fear. I suppose, I think fear is the most compelling human emotion, right? Is that once you activate that, people are much more likely to do something immediately, right? When you're scared, it's fight or flight. So you do something. Um, immediately and I, I just think that that node we've lived despite all the Brexit and all the other arguments we've essentially lived in a very risk-free world or so we've imagined for a long time this is the first thing for a lot of us in our lifetimes that has lit up that bit of our brain and and that to me maybe explains both the public reaction and and also I think with the government I think that because the death toll in the first wave was higher than they thought this reaction on the second wave might be what's driving it i.e it's overcorrection, right they're like, we don't want to go down in history as these guys. Whether or not everything you're saying could be true, I just still think that it, the level of risk aversion is now driven by that fear. But this is why it is absolutely imperative that we change the conversation right now. So firstly, why are we trying to increase fear? Every single week, we know that this is less bad than we thought, that even if it was very bad, it is now less bad than it was, that however many people tragically lost their lives, those people who are elderly or had comorbidities have now passed, they cannot physically die twice. And at the same time, we have costs to lockdown. And there seems to be some weird fantasy that economy is a Tory idea and that other people don't need to um, work or feed their families or don't have any satisfaction or vocational reward from building up a business or being part of a community or and so and, but that doesn't change the fact that even when they before they did lockdown they estimated that it could kill 200,000 people through interruptions to healthcare and stuff we know if we look around the world that interruptions to healthcare and to food supply chains could kill millions of people we also can see that isolating dementia patients for this long extended period of time will cause death in and of itself so it is and we know that people have killed themselves because of this. And we know that tens of thousands of people will die unnecessarily of cancer. Countless people have not had treatment for heart attacks and strokes. We know, however brightened you are of COVID, that we are killing every single day in our own country, even ignoring the rest of the earth, we are killing people with this policy. So it is not enough anymore to just go along with it as if you're helping anyone. You can say, my 85 year old grandmother is much more important than your 
anxious, suicidal 15-year-old son, but you cannot pretend that this policy is having an effect on no one. As, as we start to bring it in, what I find is interesting is that you are, are you surprised to find yourself in this place of, you know, I mean, I always knew that you had very individualistic uh, opinions. You know, you're not, you're, you don't sort of follow the herd on literally on anything. And, 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 and I can see and feel the anger coming from feel, you. Do you know what? I honestly feel so depressed because I just want to work and have, I, everything I've done has just been to set things up for my children in the best way possible. And also for myself, you know, I'm a very social person. Mm. I love clubs. I love crowds. So I totally appreciate that my bias is definitely in favor of life, not, not living in a cellar cowering away from something I happen to have had, which I know makes a difference because it means I'm not frightened of getting it and I'm not frightened yeah. of giving it. So I appreciate that psychological freedom. Having said that, we are obliged not to impose our fear on other people. And I think that this, nothing could make this clearer than the mask mandate. So I, I believe you think that all of these things might be accidental, but I am struggling to accept that, well, firstly, for, it's fraud. What I saw on Monday was fraud. That, mm -hmm. that, that's, let's say everybody No, else, I mean, I must admit, for me, you know, that's the closest, you know, they call it the old tinfoil hat, but that 50,000, the raw blunt nature of that stat, I, I was shocked. I was genuinely shocked by the way that was deployed. And also, if you're, if you're interested, all of the maths guys have been following this rubbish for months and they're all, they're all shredding these figures every day. But, uh, so that frightens me because that was obviously so deliberate. But in terms of the mask mandate, let's, let's pretend, shall we, that the Gompertz curve follows the same way in every country everywhere. And we are only making the mask mandate once that curve has flattened off. Why? Why? Now, Carl at the um, evidence-based medicine at Oxford, he said months ago, there is no evidence that masks reduce infectivity. There, there might be a couple of studies that suggest it reduces infection, but there are also a couple of studies that suggest it increases infection. And whatever side you fall on on this, you can see if you've ever been out that the way we wear masks couldn't help anybody from anything, because even Fauci said that they can increase touching your face, which they obviously do. I've seen people take them off to speak, to shout, to, to sneeze. Um, to wear them under their chin, to, mm. to put them in and out well, of their Well, this was the thing, was the government had all these reservations and that was why they didn't recommend it. But I do worry, Tony, that there's such a simple equation between these measures and virtue and, and the way that discourse is led now, that they the obvious or simplistic versions of virtue, i.e. the kind that are favoured by Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon, she, she will always go to the most simplistic of idea of what care means. She leads what, the way. The, the do not resuscitate the elderly and then well, but, but, them, isolate them and then torture. No, no, I don't agree. I don't agree, agree with that. But I mean, in terms of these superficial mass measures, I think that the, there's a certain fawning uh, relationship with Sturgeon in the press. Actually, you know, when it comes to face masks and Sadiq Khan to a point, the government oh, have, have, have ended up slavishly following that because that seems to be like, if you don't do this, you're evil rather well, than it being but, much more complicated. I who was it? Was it um, who was it that said that they? It was a, a member of government said that we only introduced masks because the British Retail Consortium thought that they might improve shoppers' confidence. So they have yeah. absolutely. They never. No one has ever believed. If you look at any box of masks, it says on the back quite clearly, "This will not protect you from COVID." But does it really do that? I didn't know. Yeah, that. I'll send you a picture. I consider anybody now that ignores every single thing coming out from the government to be doing their citizens duty and helping protect our future liberties and i applaud them and if you have any inclination to snitch on anybody take a good hard look at yourself and then go and lock yourself back up in your, your bedroom when matt hancock said this this challenges everything that it means to be human why went, why didn't we all stand up then and say what the hell are you talking about yeah. if you if your response to something challenges everything that it means to be a human being, then it's the wrong response. My son was so confused about why he couldn't go to swimming, he couldn't go to the farm, he couldn't go to the zoo, he couldn't go to his nursery, he couldn't see his grandma, because we all mm. went along with this shit for a few weeks. Um, he started to lick his hands all the time, like all the time, constantly. And I would say to him, what are you doing? You know, and he'd say, I'm making sure the bug doesn't come back. 
because he just wanted to see people again. And I was being as normal as possible. I wasn't upset then like I am now. Mm. Now I'm absolutely raging because... Yeah, I think that that early bit of lockdown was a sort of bubble where I, I think that I thought very differently in that time to how I feel now. I, also, another thing was I simply forgot the things that I loved as well. And then the moment I could do them again, I think the where is the reason that the, the looming restrictions now have got to me is because I've had them back and I don't want to lose them again. And maybe, I don't know if yourself, where that anger is like, okay, I've been through that now. And, and the, 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 the chatter of the last two weeks made me get a bit depressed again because it was like i can't i can't believe the way that this is gaining pace and and the the certain illogical spheres of argument here you you do seem to be i mean obviously there's people should follow your social media and instagram and and all of that stuff and i guess that you're sort of retweeting these sort of people if people are interested in you know finding you know respected academics and professors who are going against the people that yeah, they might and, be hearing by on. the way if anybody wants to dm me then I will happily provide them with sources. Yeah. I do believe that we are in a period of collective hysteria. I believe that our only way out is one person at a time. I think that like most people, I just want to be liked and uh, you know, I, don't, I want to be agreeable. And I know this is horrible. And I know that people have, have lost loved ones. I'm not pretending for a second that this mm. hasn't been an awful thing. But we do not need to throw hundreds of thousands of people on the funeral pyre because this horrible thing happened in March. We have a duty to our children that they inherit a free society and we have a duty to each other to behave morally and properly and protect our vulnerable and not torture them in this way and call it care. I think, I think you've worded that absolutely beautifully and I appreciate you coming on the show. It's really powerful stuff and I think that, you know, people should follow you and, um, well, let's see, let's see, oh, I would say I'll see you out at a gig soon, but that is far from guaranteed. Yeah, it is indeed. But thanks for having me, Jeff. Cheers. So, like I said, there is, there was the chat with Tanya. Take, take what you can from it. Take it or leave it. Get in touch with her on social media. Don't obviously be aggro and stuff, but um, I found that, a really intense chat and I, I think I was glad it seemed like she wanted to get that stuff off her chest and I, I thought certain things that she said resonated with me about people people like to work and you know old people you know like the idea that in your 80s you're going to be really grateful for the government for you know shutting you away for a year and a half even though you know you were still overwhelmingly likely to be okay with that illness I think yeah I think there was some interesting stuff there to pick up on. But like I say, you know, you can come back to me on that. If there's anything, you, you can speak to Tanya or you can correct me, you know, what most people think, uk at gmail.com. All right, let's lighten up a little bit. The letters. Uh, this is a, a, a dilemma. I love dilemmas. Uh, this is from Paul, somewhere between Slough and Heathrow. He says, all right, Jeff, uh, I wonder if you can solve a problem for me and my mate Dave. We have known each other for about 35 years through thick and thin. Uh, we both grew up on estates, but our parents did well. So now we aren't quite sure whether we are working class or middle class. You're working class. It doesn't matter. I don't need to read anymore. Me and my wife have this debate. She's like, oh, Jeff, you know, things are a bit better now. We live we live in a nice enough house. Do you, I, look, I went on so many shit holidays. I have earned the right to be working class for life. I went on... People people tell me they're working class because they went pontins. I We didn't even go... I wish, I wish we went pontins. <laughs> this is what working class people always do, don't they? It always becomes a strange kind of, not one-upmanship, but one-downmanship. They did have another question regarding salad cream, but I'll answer that separately. Well, it's, look, it's salad cream versus mayonnaise. Is there a debate? It's salad cream, otherwise you're not British and you need to be deported, all right? Being deported, it shouldn't be about race. It should be about people that think mayonnaise is an option for a fish finger sandwich, for fuck's sake. So next letter here is from a friend, James Bowley. Uh, he's following up on something he said a couple of months ago about the difference between the number of men and women dying with COVID in England and Wales. Uh, up until for a few weeks in April, there were a thousand men more dying than women each week. But since May, the numbers have been almost identical, right? Almost identical. You'd think that this would be a story in itself, but there's not been a peep about this from the media. Any ideas why? Well, I would say that the real story is that people really didn't give a shit that more men were dying. <laughs> 
that was the first problem was that story in itself was like you know they looked at other communities they looked like uh, uh, you know BAME communities but when it was more men were dying they're like so men deserve to die men are on it I mean the way that some people explained it away was just it was almost like victim blaming men are unhealthy they don't go to the doctors it's their fault if that had been more women than men you'd have heard like this is just this shows that the NHS is systemically biased against women but that is interesting that it's leveled out right I think that maybe maybe men are just pussies maybe that's what it is maybe men just succumb too early maybe they're right and women they just toughed it out women can take pain more than men well they say that right because of labour I would say that women the big pain in life like labour the ultimate discomfort women are better at controversial Little cuts and bruises and scrapes. I don't think they handle those too well. Have you? Have you? <laughs> you ever seen a woman just get a football in the face or something? You know, unexpectedly. Like they're just not conditioned. A lot of women aren't conditioned in their lives to deal with that feeling. They haven't been punched in the face much. You know, God willing. You know, as boys, you just have more than that. I remember I was just seeing. I was at a park once, and a woman. I think I might have mentioned this before, but a woman walking past just got hit with a ball. It was it? Wasn't. So, my gosh, she went down screaming. She was convinced that her nose was broken and all that. And like, we all had to go, oh my, you know, we had to take it seriously. But if that had been a bloke, we'd have just been get up. And maybe that's why we all have mental health problems. What most people think. Okay, we've got quite a few letters here this week. Um, Jeff, what do you reckon the next few months and weeks will hold? I'm not going to adjust my life direction based on anything Mystic Jeff has to say, but I'm interested. What do you think is coming? Economy? Shit in the bed? Well, I mean, I think that what the government have said recently will mean that footfall goes down again. So if there was a V-shaped recovery happening, it's probably going to become like a W-shaped recovery. And then it'll just be one of those Ws that goes on forever that you do when you first learn how to write as a kid. Uh, protests, maybe. Yeah, of course there'll be more protests. It's one thing we've learned about people. If you lock them up and protest is the only legitimate reason you can get out of the house, I'll protest. I'll go fucking... I'll go on all the pro. I'll go on Black Lives Matter and I'll protect the statues just if that gets me out of the house. Um, revelations about Trump and Biden. Uh, I think they're both going to die before the election. You heard it here first. No evidence for that. I just think that. Uh, Boris caught out, absolutely smashed, asleep on a roundabout in Ibiza, <laughs> surrounded by chicken wings and pills. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he's had a tough old... You know, people are taking... They don't extend sympathy to Boris. You know, there's these illusions to the idea that he might be suffering mental health problems. But the same people that trumpet mental health, because it's Boris, they don't give a shit. They go, mental health has to be taken seriously unless the person who caused Brexit is suffering from it. Loads of letters. Love getting letters, man. Love getting these sort of letters. Um, Hello, Jeff. Why do, this is from Robin, I mean, we kind of covered this in, in the chat with Tanya. Uh, why do most popular comedians seem to love being told what to do? I would have thought that they would have, I guess what he's alluding to here is the fact that a lot of comedians seem, at the very least, ambivalent about restriction, if not pro-restrictions, right? I would have thought they have a similar mindset to a rock star. Oh, no, no, no. Comedians and rock stars are, rock stars desperately want to be on stage. Comedians are terrified of it, but they have to do it. It's like... Uh, it's just more of a dirty addiction, I think. <laughs> and bear in mind as well, rock stars, once they've got a good song, they can rinse that for the rest of their lives. Jokes, no one finds a joke funny the third time. Just bear that in mind. If you wonder why comedians are always racked with anxiety, it's because no one's going to be fucking like, you know what I mean? We can't, we, there's no equivalent of a hotel California. There's about, there's about five routines in my life that have achieved that status. And even the man drawer routine, which is a great routine by McIntyre, by the fifth time, you're like, yeah, I know where the stuff goes, Michael. What most people think. And final letter here is fights. Who's the fights we got this week? We've got who would win a fight between Queens of Social Justice. Who's this from? Sorry, I didn't copy and paste the name on this, but uh, Queens of Social Justice, Jacinda Ardern and Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. I think Meghan Markle's got those sharp elbows, man. She wants what she wants and she knows how to get it. So I'm thinking Jacinda, although Jacinda, there was that impressive footage of her, wasn't there, when she was in the middle of an interview and there was an earthquake and she literally fucking Bruce Willis did, didn't she? It was like that explosion happening behind her. She's like, don't give a fuck. So that's a tricky one, man. Jacinda could surprise you. Maybe she's one of those independent modern women. Like she went to those kind of anti-mugging classes and she 
she could actually, you know those moves that you often see them teaching like women to make themselves feel better on the journey home from the train station and you just think, I wonder how many women would remember that. I think it would probably be slappy, slappy, here's my handbag. Maybe Jacinda properly would be like, (laughs) if you just imagine now that karate music and then she puts on her bandana, absolutely opens up a whole can of woke whip-ass, which wouldn't be whip-ass, would it? It would just be, she'd probably talk to them. She'd probably have a little word. So on balance, yeah, I, I think Megan, and you know, this comment, I think Megan's bigger built, which always is a slightly contentious thing to say about women, but just, just a bit bigger built generally. I think she's got the power coming behind the punch. I think Megan Markle within four. Okay, so that is the end of the podcast. Interesting one, right? You know, talk to your friends if you think people should listen to it. I, th- I think this will generate some debate here. I've got to, uh, I've got to, before I go, say hello to some new patrons, £3 patrons. Uh, Ross Ellis, Christian Afferton, Paul Norton. And a reminder, just to see if you've been unsubscribed, because, you know, I don't want to say, you know, conspiracy against right-wingers, but, um, but a few people found that their Patreon account had been stopped without them knowing. So if you were on it and you liked the benefits that you were getting, then, you know, just quickly check. Uh, as ever, if you leave me a five-star review on iTunes, I'll read it out. Uh, this is from Alan Grant. Terrific podcast, both for those of us who lean right and those who wish they did. What do you mean, wish they did? You could do it, Alan. Are you another, are you cuckolded, Alan? Grow a pair, Alan, yeah? Vote Tory, grow a pair. That'd be a good, <laughs> that'd be a good slogan, wouldn't it? Got four star here. Um, not reading out. Cat. Um, <clears throat> Uh, this is from Kat. Uh, this pod is now on my listen to every week. Don't agree with all his politics, but he makes me think. Keep up, keep on pushing against the norm. Let's hope 2020 is not just a warm up to 2021. Well, hey, fucking each year, everyone goes, oh, 2020 has just been the worst year. Stop saying that because the next year could be worse. Uh, this is from Lynn Skerry. Uh, I find out I'm turning to more podcasts for information and entertainment instead of mainstream media. The constant doom and gloom on there is so depressing. And then they blame the government for the rise of people suffering from depression. I think you make a good point, Lynn. One thing I've never understood in my whole life is why good news doesn't have more of a place at the table of news generally. I don't get it. it obviously, none of the news networks do this. So clearly, I'm missing something. But it is around. It's always around. Of course, there's good news. There's some good news you could say every day. But people love bad news. I don't know. Uh, Gavin Whitney. I didn't really conclude that very well, <laughs> I felt like I was going, it's been a long day, but I felt like I was going somewhere or something and I went, yeah, I don't fucking know. Um, This is from Gavin Whitney. I'm new to Jeff's podcast, discovered it from Jeff's stint on the Telegraph's Planet Normal. I'm now trying to catch up with older editions, thought-provoking, amusing and utterly on point. Thank you very much. Uh, Every nickname is taken. (laughs) This is from Every Nickname is Taken. I found Jeff on the MASH report and I'm not sure I would have done otherwise, being a Remainer, although I'm definitely not a lefty. What? A Remainer is not left-wing? That doesn't suit my jokes that I say. Uh, it's nice to finally hear arguments from the Lee side articulated intelligently and not a la Farage style well, Imagine that. I don't think, I think style is probably a word that Nigel Farage wouldn't use. To be honest, on his own, he sounds like a bit like a bloke ranting in the pub who forgets what his original point was. But that's really funny because that's happened seven times in the last bit here. Uh, this is because he admits to recording these late at night. No, I, I, look, ideally I try and record them about 11am when brain's working. I think the truth is I just am a rambly sort of bloke who sounds like he's in a pub. But you still gave me the five stars anyway. Thank you very much. Um, and this is from Campbell McLean. Clearly sounds like a made-up detective. Um, I'm Campbell McLean. I've been clean for six years. And then she walked back into my life. Um, I came to this podcast a week ago. I'm now binge listening at episode 24. Wow. Uh, Well, the sound gets better. I can assure you of that. Um, It's highly entertaining to listen to with a look back perspective. I get good laughs from each episode. To be fair, Jeff is not that right wing. Definitely on the left of the Tory party, which just adds to the authenticity. The calling out of hypocrisy and the laughing at the obvious on the commute to work puts me in good mood for the rest of the day. You, You have a commute? This guy commutes to work, everybody. What? They need to you know, speak to you, Guff. You, there is somebody. There's somebody out there who's willing to get on a train and go to work. You're going to be like, uh, you're going to repopulate the world after the dark days. You're going to be like uh, Will Smith in that fucking film. 
This see, look, this is it. Bloke down the pub forgets what he was saying. Anyway, see you next week. <laughs>